welcome everyone. You are listening to the Theology Mill from Whipfinstock Publishers. My name is Zach Mickle, and I work here at Whipfinstock, and I'm also the host of this podcast, which consists of interviews with some of the leading authors in theology, biblical studies, and philosophy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, come stop by our website at whipfinstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock, S-T-O-C-K.com. So in this interview for our BART booth, I had the chance to talk with Dr. Kara Slade, the Associate Rector of Trinity Church in Princeton and the Canon Theologian of the Episcopal Diocese of New Jersey. Here we talk about a host of topics related to Karl Barth, including the ecclesial setting of Barth's theology, the conclusiveness of God's action in Jesus Christ, Barth's reception among North American Anglicans, Barth's theology of time, as well as some of the promising prospects for Barth's studies today. In the episode description, you'll find a link for our BART booth, where you can browse a large selection we've put together of our books by and about Carl BART, uh, which also includes a 50% discount on all the books featured in the booth, and that discount runs through April 14th, 2023. Dr. Slade's book, The Fullness of Time, is also included in that booth, and so it's offered at a 50% off discount as well. So without further ado, friends, let's head over to the interview. Okay, well, I am here with Dr. Is it Kara or Kara? Kara. Kara Slade, okay, um, who is the associate, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, by the way, the associate rector at Trinity Church in Princeton, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the canon theologian of the Episcopal Diocese of New Jersey, and who also holds a Duke PhD in theology. Now, you also have a PhD in like mechanical engineering, don't you? I I do, it's true. so you can see the sort of the record of my bad life decisions, but that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Nice, nice. <clears throat> okay, and we are sharing a drink again, um, just as with Kate Dugan from the Pacific Coast <laughs> to the East Coast. Um, and I, I've got a couple of drinks actually here. I'm being Good. kind of a glutton this morning. I was at the bottom of my coffee cup, so I was like, I need to bring another drink with me to get me through. So I have some, just some black coffee from um, this grocery store called New Seasons over here in Portland. And then I have a health aid kombucha. I've never tried this one before. It has blood orange, carrot, and ginger. All of that sounds great except for the carrot. So we'll see how it turns out. I'm not quite sure about that. But what are you sipping on? Uh, Yeah, I've just got my, uh, I've got my Coke here. Um, So um, just uh, kind of a, kind of a traditionalist. Nice. Yeah, there's like nothing better, honestly, in my opinion, than a lunch with like a with like a Coke and a glass bottle with like the Mexican cane sugar. Oh, absolutely. You just can't beat that. Absolutely. Okay, well let's um let's let's talk about Bart. Um I I'm curious what what sort of impresses you the most about him as a theologian to kick things off. Yeah, um you know, this is a very really a simple answer i think to this question is and it's not about um kind of intellectual impressiveness as much as it is about the way that he relentlessly points to jesus in a way that draws other people to jesus as well um you know i um i remember when i was picking my dissertation topic um 
with uh, with Willie Jennings at, at Duke, um, he said, you know, write on what excites you the most about being Christian. And that for me, Bart was was that person um, who makes me the most excited about being a Christian and who um, you know, through a kind of radical reorienting of our thought um, towards the person and work of Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Could you tell me a little bit more about, about what it is that sort of you enjoy, like you said that, you know, in writing, in writing that you were trying to figure out, you know, what, what uh, most excites you about being a Christian. So could you tell me a little bit more about what it is about Bart that sort of gets you pumped up? Well, um, I think that it's, um, There's something about it that, um, and I gotta, I gotta be honest, um, brings me to praise of God. Um, thinking about you know the absoluteness of God's action towards us and for us in Jesus, um, and the way that um, Bart won't let us mess around with other stuff. Right? Um, he won't let us get bogged down in things that we shouldn't get bogged down in. Um, you know, intellectually, theologically, ecclesially. Um, and say, no, you know, turn your eyes toward Jesus, turn your eyes toward Jesus, and then everything else becomes clear in the light of the cross. Um, and I think the way that he um, he's very clear in, about the intersection between um, between theology and the proclamation of the church, right? Theology mm. is a church activity, um, mm. you know. And as I'm I'm sitting here talking to you right now, I'm I'm looking out my window at the tower of of Trinity Church and um, where I work, and I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to work as, you know, really as a parish priest and as a theologian for the church, working in the church and. Um, and, you know, that's where Bart is coming from also. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an intellectual exercise that's somehow divorced from, um, you know, preaching actual sermons to actual people, uh, pastoring actual people who sit in pews. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think the, like, his pastoral heart really comes through. And also, like, mm-hmm. I feel like it shows in how much of a cult following he has among pastors. I yes. feel like that's pretty unique because like I, yeah. I'm coming from a Catholic setting and even among priests, but especially among lay people, there's not really like besides like sort of catechism theology or like papal encyclicals, there's not necessarily a lot of knowledge of like the big heavy hitters of the 20th century, like yep. von Balthazar de Lubach or whatever. Yeah. But I one thing I know about um, a lot of Protestant pastors is that they know their part very, very well. So I, I think that that's kind of mm-hmm. special and unique. And I wish that we could sort of cultivate that on the Catholic side as well. Yeah. Um, So if you had to kind of sit back though and poke some holes in Bart's, in Bart's system, um, what would you say are some of the the biggest weaknesses? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think the weakness, maybe a weakness is also a strength insofar as um, the way that, doctrines interweave with each other right i mean to some extent you know um, the doctrine of reconciliation pops up in every volume 
right? The doctrine of creation mm-hmm. pops up at every, you know, it's not like you have one thing in one place and that's, here is all of you, all, everything that you need to know about, you know, topic X. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's much more intricately woven than that. So, <clears throat> and that's something that can engender, I think, bad readings of Bart, if if someone looks in one place and say, ah, yes, this is all of what Bart had to say. And so thus, this is Bart's position on, you know, pick your pick your topic. I mean, a really mm-hmm. notorious example of this is um, the way that he talks about um, human finitude in, um, you know, the, the sections in uh, in three, two on the. Um, you know, the the limits of our our time as a gift and and you know people will kind of turn that into uh yes Karl Barth didn't believe in you know any kind of eternal life that isn't the life we're living right now right mm-hmm. um and I think that's just not borne out by I mean the entirety of you know you just have to look at everything that he has to say and of course his sermons also um, you know, point you in a very different direction, but you can, I think people, um, sometimes can tend to, you know, Bart proof text, right. And mm, that's not mm-hmm. helpful because it's mm-hmm. not the way that he writes. Um, yeah. 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 I, I think that's something that came through in talking with Kate Dugan too, is that there's sort of this never ending, like poetic unfolding about his theology that you you really couldn't just turn to one volume or one section of a volume and say you know this is this is bart's doctrine of reconciliation or whatever um which that kind of makes him daunting in a way though because he's you know he wrote just so much but which kind of yeah go ahead it it rewards patience right he he rewards patience and you know i think i can say you know, now I've read the vast majority of the dogmatics, right? And, um, but, you know, it's taken me a while to get to that point. Um, you know, certainly there are senior scholars who have a vastly deeper command of it than I do. Um, mm. But still, it is, it's something that's hard to kind of, um, if you're trying to dip your toe in, it's, it's a, it can be a little bit hard to know where to start, certainly with church dogmatics. You know, if people say, oh, wh- what should I read of the church dogmatics? I'm like, oh, wait, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we'll start in another place, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, with with that in the foreground, mm-hmm. sort of the vastness of his, his project, if you had to, and this is a very difficult question, I know, but if you had to kind of sum up as briefly as you could, his theological project how would you do so yeah um i would say something like um you know in loving freedom god has acted god has acted conclusively in jesus christ to defeat sin and death um, and in doing so also shows us what it means to be truly human something something like that mm. um i'll probably change my mind about that in about eight hours and i'll be like no you gotta add this <laughs> um but of course you know on it interestingly um so i've been putting together my sermon 
for um for Sunday and John 3:16 is part of the the lectionary text right in the gospel mm-hmm. and and I, I am talking a little bit about you know that it might be an apocryphal story but it might also be true that this is something that um that Bart said in 1962 um either at University of Chicago or or one other place um that someone asked you know can you sum up your intellectual project and he said uh, <clears throat> supposedly uh Jesus loves me this i know <laughs> the bible tells me so yeah right? um which is actually a much thicker statement than you mm-hmm. right? than you might first admit um because it tells us you know what um what is the heart of the um of the gospel and how do i know that it's you know how do i know this right yeah um, how do i think about revelation and i'm trying really hard not to turn my sermon into a sermon on the doctrine of revelation like nobody wants mm. to hear that um <laughs> so but uh we'll see <coughs> but i think yeah go ahead um yeah um i think the you know, some of the key elements are, you know, God acts in loving freedom. Um, God acts towards humanity um, in Jesus Christ in a, in a conclusive and all-encompassing way. Um, and in God's act that then shows us things about creation and creaturely life as well, right? Um you know, one of my favorite <clears throat> things about Bart is when he, um, you know, he'll say, we don't want to develop a kind of separate doctrine of sin, you know, to which Jesus is then a kind of answer to an algebra problem. I'm going to look at Jesus and define sin as the things that are not contrary to that. Right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a very, it's a radically different approach, but I think there's such beauty in it. Right. To say, um, you know, we have to look at that saving act first as the thing that explains everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had also heard that story about his response to to the question yeah. about, you know, what's sort of the core of his theology. I, I, you know, I chuckled out loud. It's hilarious, but I, I think it was in a maybe in Howard Wass's, um Gifford lectures on Bart and others. Um, I think it might have been there. I'm not totally sure. Um, but he, uh, wherever it was, it, it's sort of talking about how, like, at the heart of Bart's project is sort of this really simple message, actually. But that yep. the voluminousness of of his work is because it sort of has to be perpetually restated. Like, you have to sort of re- mm-hmm. like sing, you know, <clears throat> re- like just sing new refrains you know to the same chorus over and over which i thought was a really interesting and helpful and also kind of reminds me of like von balthazar a bit um who similarly wrote just a stupid amount of of uh theology but um and and it was also really kind of challenging to get a grip on yeah exactly yeah you know i read the assign the stuff i was had to read of von Balthasar and, and you know trying to read a little bit of it and understand what he's about you are left with a kind of um 
less than complete understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you know. Thankfully, they both have like shorter volumes as well yeah. that are that are helpful for sort of getting into the fray. But 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 yeah. at the same time, they're you know Balthazar's trilogy and Bart's uh, dogmatics are sort of where the meat is. So you sort of have to get at least in my opinion like you sort of have yeah. to get into yeah. those at some point but absolutely what would you say at kind of the popular level is the biggest misconception uh, that people have about bart and his theology oh gosh um and it's good that you've also um i love that you've just talked to kate about this um <clears throat> about bart as well i think that there's a misconception that bart is it's kind of a bro theology, right? Or it's like <laughs> yeah. kind of a um goes with a kind of a, an aggressive um macho intellectual mm-hmm. posture, um, or a kind of argumentativeness, um or and it's just not true. And I think that if you look at the folks who are doing wonderful work with Bart these days, um it's definitely not a monolithic, um, a monolithic group of straight yeah. white men. Yes, right? for sure. Um, there are a lot of people from a lot of different, <clears throat> a lot of different standpoints and backgrounds who are finding in Bart fruitful conversation partners um, for for their own projects, and um, and so I think that that's a big misconception. And then also I think it's a misconception that. And, you know, again, sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in right now, geographically, um, that somehow if you're a BART person, you have to fight with other BART people. Um, And, uh, you know, Kate, again, uh, the Center for BART Studies has done a wonderful job in uh, really fostering a sense of community. among uh, BART folks. There's a PhD uh, student conference that they put together. Really one of the most formative experiences of my life. You know, you have 12 PhD students who come together to read through a volume of the dogmatics and do little papers on, mm-hmm. on you know, everybody is assigned a part and then you write on it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that kind of intense community building, I think, has gone a long way as well to, you know, to show a different way forward. So, you know, I think if folks are hesitant to, um, to wade into those waters, because they think it's a particular kind of a, a scene, um, it's not that kind of a scene anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that, that was definitely the impression I got in from it, you know, everything I've heard from others. Uh, it definitely seems like people are really a big you know, big fans of what Kate is doing with the BART Center and kind of bringing in a, you know, a wide cast of uh, voices, you know, and non-white yeah. voices, but not, and not just in America, but even on kind of a global scale. Yeah, absolutely. Is, yeah, which I think absolutely. is great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for those who are new, we've talked about this a bit already, but for those who are <laughs> yeah. new, um, where where should they start with Bart? You know, are there are there specific volumes by him himself that people should start with, and are there sort of intros or other secondary sources that would be um, sort of good entry points for folks? Yeah, um, two things that I really recommend. Uh, the first that 
BART text that I would recommend people start with is dogmatics and outline, right? It's short. It's just a little uh, commentary on the Apostles' Creed. And you start to get a sense of what BART is doing intellectually. Um, but it's something that you could, I'm actually reading through it for Lent, right? Hmm. Um, so it's something that you can read, you know, as a Lenten discipline or, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone who would want to do it as a beach read, but, you know, it's it's a manageable, <laughs> right? It's a manageable yeah. little book. You, you don't, you won't be, you're not committing to 500 pages. Um, uh, the other thing that I recommend is a little book called The Great Passion by Eberhard Busch, mm. um, which is a secondary text, an introduction to Bart's theology that also weaves in um, some uh, some biographical uh, information because you really can't separate um, who Bart was, you know, in the context that he was in, certainly, right, um, in the, um, you know, in the church struggle um, of the German church, um, you know, in the unfolding events of World War II and then afterwards, right, kind of the new um you know the cold war um and uh you know theology doesn't sort of fall out of the sky as a kind of abstract entity it comes out of that and so i think it's important to see you know how you know bart as a scholar as a pastor um you know how that sort of generates how he does his his work mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I lo- yeah i love what you said about <laughs> the dogmatics and outline not being a beach read i think i saw a funny like tweet a while back um about this guy saying like he just couldn't bring himself to pull out his book on nietzsche that he had in his backpack while he was sitting uh in his his child's doctor's office which i thought was just hilarious um but yeah but even in something that's not so intense like i've I've experienced this on like planes when you pull out like you know a big thick theology book like you just sort of wonder what the people next to you are (laughs) Thinking about well, that's, just, that's why you got to get a Kindle and just there you go. Nobody's business. Then it's nobody's that's business brilliant. what you're reading. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I did read uh, Ben Meyer's Apostles' Creed commentary at the beach once. I was with um, Sonia Waters, a pastoral theology professor at PTS, and we were at the beach. And then she was reading um, On Beauty and Being Just mm, right, yeah, yeah. by Lane's Scary. And so we were kind of a a bunch of weirdos at the Jersey shore. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Um, as far as the church dogmatics, this mm. is probably also a really hard question, but what would you say is your personal favorite volume out of all of them and why? Yeah. I mean, I think this is the one that everybody says, but yeah, for yeah. one, okay. Um, for one, because the way that Bart walks us through you know, the saving work of Christ, um, you know, the journey of the the son of God into the far country, the judge judged in our place, the verdict of the father, the kind of the heart of the, you know, the Paschal mystery. That's something I read every year during Holy Week, um, the journey of the son into the far country in 4-1. Um, but, you know, it's just such a beautiful 
meditation on um, the passion and the resurrection. Um, <clears throat> and then the way that he takes, um, the way that he defines sin around cross and resurrection, right? Especially his section on, um, you know, defining sin in terms of, uh, in terms of pride in four one is kind of the big, um, you know, the big kind of reference as he's talking about sin as one of the, um, the roots of all other sin, the act of putting ourselves in God's place. Right? Mm. And um, I, I find that um, really powerful as well, as I was saying earlier, because you know, this is where he starts setting out and says, you know, I'm not going to do a kind of a natural law thing. I'm mm. not going to um, <laughs> do something where we say, ah, yes, well, we can all agree on what sin is, right? It comes from this other, you know, some other place. Um, but he will say, no, let's, let's start with Jesus and then work out our doctrine of sin from there. Um, <clears throat> so that again, so the, the person and work of Christ is primary, um, and isn't a kind of, again, and, and isn't an answer to an algebra problem. Is it like a mm -hmm. solve for X? Um, and I found that really, um, <clears throat> I find that really helpful as well. And I find it a really helpful way to talk to people in churches about sin. Mm -hmm. um, especially people who maybe have, are coming from church backgrounds where they've been kind of um, bludgeoned with, mm -hmm. with the kind of um, <laughs> very, very long thou shalt not list. Um, when some of the thou shalt nots are actually just kind of cultural, right? <laughs> or have to no. do a lot more with gender roles or um, or this, that, and the other than with, you know, than with what is of God and what is not of God. And so it can be a way to really reorient that conversation around around sin so that you don't jettison the concept of sin. Because <laughs> right? mm -hmm. it, yeah. it is it is it uh, is important. Um, but it's important to do that in a way that, um, you know, doesn't become a, just kind of a violence on people. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think, I think Kate also, I know we keep mentioning her. I think she also, um, said, I don't remember if she said four, one or just four in its entirety yeah. was her favorite, but she also said <clears throat> kind of like you, uh, she said it was almost something of a cliche at, at, Princeton <laughs> for yeah. people to choose four as their favorite, but nonetheless, yeah. that's what she chose. So uh, yeah. there must be some truth to the cliche, I guess. Um, I mean, I also love uh, three two. I mean, the okay. doctrine of creation is wonderful, but if I had to pick one, you know, my desert island volume would be four one. Okay. 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 So one one question I have is. Um, as an Anglican priest yourself, how would you say that BART has been received among Anglican scholars, especially in America, or we could broaden it to North America, and how might his theology sort of benefit um, those Anglicans in America? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Anglicans influenced by BART are, are, it's kind of everywhere, right? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think there are more Anglicans doing it than Presbyterians, but it's getting close, right? Mm, um, yeah. You know, Kate Sonderegger is obviously the a stellar example of someone who's been shaped 
by Bart um, on the more kind of um, preaching end of things, Fleming Rutledge um, and, uh, you know, Catherine Tanner in her own way. So, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot, and of course, certainly interacting with Bart, uh, Oliver, Oliver O'Donovan. So it's kind of a lot of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, I think that's a great joy. It's a great joy to find other um, people within my own tradition who, um, who find Bart helpful, Um, you know, and as we all kind of, I mean, there's certainly there are things and you can appreciate this yourself. Um, there are things that um, we we have to kind of pay less attention to in Bart, yeah. right? I'm not going to get yeah. my sacramental theology from him, right? Right. Um, but uh, but you know, there's there um, there's a, a critical mass of folks who you know who find him helpful within our own tradition, and and I think that's that's a real joy. I think that. Um, uh, by the same token, the the kind of the theological community within Anglicanism is one thing, and you know, again, what happens in churches is, you know, is maybe something else. Again, um, there are some, um, you know, certainly some parish clergy who are very influenced by Bart. I think also of the um, the kind of mockingbird uh, folks who um, who find Bart uh, a helpful conversation partner mockingbird ministries and but i think that by and large um you know many more episcopal clergy are um are shaped by uh, a, a more of a kind of liberal protestant so some something between liberal protestant and um liberal catholic yeah um, ways of thinking theologically and um and you know um i think that one of the helpful things that people who love bart and find bart helpful uh can a role that we can play within um certainly within north american anglicanism is to maybe kind of be a little bit of a burr under the saddle of um you know, some of the tendencies towards a natural theology, right? Or a kind mm-hmm. of a um, a pneumatological focus that maybe becomes fuzzy, right? Um, you know, I'm talking about the, the, the spirit in vague terms without reference to Christ, um, yeah. which is a, a, a common tendency, I think, in Protestant liberalism today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um I think that you know Bart can act as a as a little bit of a, a nudge or a corrective. I think that's a big part of what I see my own vocation or my charism as within my church is hmm. um to be a, a very good natured irritant. <laughs> um <laughs> to um you know, as Bart um himself talks about the um the Eisenheim altarpiece um yeah and how it represents the theological task and to be that you know John the Baptist pointing the finger at Jesus and say you know, he must increase and I must 
street. And that's, um, I think, where I find myself within, um, within my own tradition. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's really helpful for situating things. Do you think that, do you think that Anglicans sort of have to have a more reformed bent to appreciate Bard? Or like, do you think that, I mean, you've kind of alluded Mm. to this a bit in terms of liberal Protestants and sort of some of the hurdles they have to overcome to appreciate Bard or to be challenged by Bard. But I'm interested too, as far as like, maybe the Anglo-Catholic scene, like the do you find yeah. that they you mentioned a bit about like sacramental theology, but do you do you find that they have hurdles to overcome in reading Bart? Less than you would think. Okay. Right? Less than you would think. Um, I know a number of Anglo-Catholic folks who find Bart really, really helpful. Um, and I think that one thing um these days within Anglicanism, I think that reformed uh, Reformed Anglicans and Anglo-Catholic, certainly within the Episcopal Church, Reformed Episcopalians and Anglo-Catholic Episcopalians um, share a lot more, perhaps, in terms of convictions than we once did, just because um, I think that that kind of what we used to call party spirit, right, of of low church versus high church really isn't the defining. Yeah. You know, it's not a kind of a defining thing as much as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, I know fo- plenty of folks who, um, you know, who love fiddleback chasubles and incense and um, are <laughs> avid readers of art because mm-hmm. they really, really love Jesus. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and love to, um, to read someone who keeps a focus on Jesus. I mean, certainly, um, you know, there can be some things in terms of, <clears throat> for Anglo-Catholics, like the way Bart's anthropology works, you know, nature and grace, that kind of thing, they might, you know, have some differences there. But mm-hmm. um, I think that they still can find it helpful and interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you you and others have kind of spoken about Bart's uh, volumes on the Doctrine of Reconciliation. So if I'm getting this right, that'd be... Four, four, one through four, three, um, mm-hmm. as kind of the interpretive heart of his church dogmatics. So, what I know you've talked a bit about this already, but what would you say he's kind of up to in those volumes? And then, how do they, how do they, how do they figure in sort of his broader mm-hmm. project in the church dogmatics? Well, I mean, so first of all, it puts cross and resurrection at the center, which is, which is where it has to be for him. You know, everything flows out from from a cross and resurrection. Um, and that, you know, that wondrous act of God, that once and for all act of God is at the core of everything. And yet it's also, um, you know, between four one and four two, you see the kind of the pivot towards, um, you know, okay, this is what God has done. What does that mean for the witness of the church? Right. Um, and it, you know, it can be interesting to see. I I read four one <laughs> a good there was a, a gap of time between when I read four one and when I read four two. And I read four two with uh with Doug Campbell as an independent study mm-hmm. um in my PhD program. But um the wonderful thing about four two um for me is how it really 
you know, it, it puts the lie to the idea that Bart can turn you into some kind of a quietist, right? That say, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, the work of Jesus is accomplished. And so, you know, let's go fishing, right? <laughs> you, know? Yeah. Uh, you know, the definitiveness of the work of the cross is so, you know, is, you know, it's crashing. It's, you know, it's, it's absolute. Um, and yet then Bart comes along in, um, in 4.2 and says, well, you know, I've already talked to you about pride being a bad thing. Now I'm going to talk to you about sloth being a bad thing. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, that once and for allness of the cross then frees us as witnesses, right? sends us out as witnesses. And I think that it's just such a wonderful pivot Um into kind of the life of the church um and and what christians are called to do um in loving god and loving their neighbors um and you know i would encourage people to read both right Mm -hmm. um so that you see how um uh how it it builds up um the life of the church the life of the christian um in the call of the christian so yeah yeah it's it seems similar to sort of the charge that stanley Hauerwas gets a lot of like sort of people saying that he's phidias i'm not even sure if i'm saying that right but um that like it's sort of his message is right the church's job is to be the church and right her job is to proclaim the gospel and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the, and so i think the charge is basically that you know well that's just that and then you don't have to the church doesn't actually have to uh it can just focus on sort of being itself rather than right. like, going out and doing which i don't think is really fair which i don't really think is fair to no it's, it's not fair i mean it's, it's it's also silly it's a silly um it's a silly kind of an accusation um you know, and um, I think that you know, Professor Hauerwas would be the first to say that that's not what I mean, but yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes people will draw their own conclusions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think uh, like many have also framed um, Bart's corpus as sort of necessarily grounded in ethics, which mm-hmm. you might not, which you might not get on sort of first learning about Bart at just sort of a yeah. surface level. So could you say a little bit about how kind of his, um his i want to say systematics even though i know he rejects that term but so yeah. i guess his dogmatics but i mean more than just his church dogmatics but his whole project could you could you yeah. say how this speaks to ethical concerns and why such a grounding in ethics is actually important to him yeah i mean i think he says pretty explicitly that the idea that there's a thing called ethics that's somehow separate from dogmatics is crazy right i mean this is um this should not be a comprehensible Christian position, right? Um, that, you know, ethics and, and, you know, dogmatics is ethics, right? Um, <coughs> it's, it's not that you get your system right. And then ethics is kind of over, over here. You can't see my hand. I say over here <laughs> in some other, you know, realm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not the way that it works. Um, you know, we act in the world based on our convictions about who Jesus is and what God has done, right? Um, in acting, um, I uh, 
um, Amy Laura Hall um, taught that um, taught me that the two most fundamental questions in Christian ethics in scare quotes are, um, you know, uh, the lawyer's question to Jesus, um, who is my neighbor? And then um, Jesus's question to Peter, but who do you say that I am? Right. And those two questions go together, right? Because, um, you know, if, if Jesus says, love your neighbor and Jesus is not, the son of God, then who cares? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if he's just some guy, then what force do the command, does his, do his commandments have? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just kind of good ideas, I guess. <laughs> um, but, but those things do go together. And also if you look, um, you know, it takes a more than a surface read um, in the dogmatics, you see that the ethical content within it, and you can see especially how he is, um, you know, aiming at in the earlier volumes of the dogmatics, especially you know Nazi totalitarianism, um, and and everything that that represents, and this kind of um, you know idea that a you know an idolatrous state could um, claim to be the you know, the, the master of destiny or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the later volumes, um, you also see him take aim pretty uncomfortably at uh, post-war United States um, and what, um, what that came to represent um, in the world and the kind of, um, you know, uh, capitalistic confidence um, worship of the market, even um, so, um, so you see woven in um, his his ethical material also in the doctrine of creation. You see a lot of this. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know it is it's there. But then again, it's not so easy as to turn to a section that says, "Here, here is the ethics. Here is all the ethics." I mean, the ethics is yeah. all through it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah, I think that's super helpful way to think about it. Um, okay, so I want I want to talk a bit about sort of the contemporary landscape of BART studies. And I know in our shared Google Doc, you said you don't want to talk about different camps, and that's totally yes. fair. So <laughs> maybe we could speak instead sort of more generally about just sort of the landscape of BART studies today. Um, I So Paul Nimmo kind of describes the the landscape is as kind of having two main camps. Um, and then, in, so in his language, these two camps are on the one hand, kind of an ecumenical evangelical Catholicism. And then on the other hand, a liberative reading that prioritizes themes of freedom and justice, and also recommends resistance against the powers that oppress. So do you think that this kind of rendering is, is helpful? Do you think it's helpful or harmful to think about Bart scholarship in terms of camps um, or maybe just if you'd prefer to talk about it in terms of kind of how he, the landscape of kind of how he's been received, especially in North America, um, yeah. that'd be great. Um, I, I think, um, I think that I would say that the, um, the evangelical Catholic reading is also deeply intermeshed with 
theologies of resistance against oppressive powers. So I think that it's not it's not so much of a like the division. You know, I think there's that's a division that is a lot muddier than that kind of statement would make it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't I don't know. And I just I don't know, man. I just don't find that I just. I just find that whole conversation just unhelpful, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, sure. yeah. I think that it, you know, so much kind of energy um, orbited around it. And, um, you know, I think that this is one of the ways that I am. Um, I'm very aware of having been trained as a Duke Bardian and not a PTS Bardian. I, I feel like a little bit of an interloper still around here. Um just because that wasn't even, it wasn't really a topic of conversation, right? Um, at at Duke, I, I think there were different questions that that folks were interested in, um, more in terms of, um, you know, bringing Bart into conversation with, um, I think with with problems in the world is maybe a bad way to put it, but of using Bart as a conversation conversation partner uh, more broadly, okay, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to um, trying to find the one true the one true interpretation or thinking that that's a possible thing, right? I mean, I have yeah. certainly I have in my mind interpretations that I think are probably closer to the way I read it and further away from the way I read it. Um, but I, um, I think that the last thing that Bart would have wanted to happen is to generate Bart scholasticism. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, and I think that he would have been appalled at the idea of the existence of Bardians. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that he, um, you know, he would want to, um, you know, to guide people to become better witnesses, better pastors, deeper theological thinkers, but not maybe, um, you know, um, trying to figure out who's the the correct interpreter of him. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, there seems to be like kind of almost an obsessive quality about all all these attempts to try to sort of discern yeah. what's what, like you said what's the one true kind of bardianism mm-hmm. um and I, yeah I, I i know i'm bringing up Hauerwas a lot too but I, I see that a lot in like this sort of lively very heated debate about whether or not he's like a true bardian <laughs> which is right. kind of funny which is kind of funny because i uh like you said like bart was not really interested like even said like i don't want to produce bardians like i yeah. want my i want my students to go beyond me um, and then Hauerwas too doesn't really seem to have his strong investment in in being like a Bardian of a strict observance. Um, yeah, right. To a certain yeah. extent, right? So it's sort yeah. of, it's sort of ironic that people are just sort of like really, you know, um, just like really getting into hairline fracture after hairline fracture about yeah, whether or not um, he's a Bardian of a strict observance. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, certain, certainly, you know, Duke of, you know, when I, when I was at Duke was certainly, you know, a wonderfully eclectic place. Right. 
Um, you know, you could you could be in conversation with Aquinas. You can be in conversation with Augustine, with Bart, with James Cone, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, the fruitfulness of those interactive conversations, where I think is a lot, a lot more than um, than you know, trying just interpreting Bart over and against himself. I, you know, yeah. Um, so that's that's my that's my thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to I want to move to um, talking about your your recent book, The Fullness of Time, which you published yeah. with us at Cascade. Um, so in there, you're you're exploring Bart's theology of time, um, sort of in relationship to uh, the violence of sort of the time of of uh, like scientific modernity. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. what would you say are the the biggest problems with the scientific um, you know time within scientific modernity and then what what does uh bart's theology of time sort of have to say in response yeah um you know one of the deepest assumptions that i think people operate with and don't even realize that they're operating with it um is the idea that that time is a kind of a linear trajectory of progress um that um you know, every day in every way, <laughs> we're getting better and better. Um, as humans, we're we're working our way up to the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and that shows up in different ways. It, it shows up in um, in ways that um, people will just, you know, kind of tell the stories of human origins in ways that make current. Th- Current situations seem like the inevitable outworking of progress when they're actually deeply politically contingent, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, industrialization is not an inevitable, natural <laughs> outflowering of history, yeah. and, you know, or colonialism or something like this. It's it's just mm-hmm. not. Um, and uh, by the same token, um you know, the idea that progress, uh, human progress then can sort of bring in the, you know, brings in the kingdom, that a human project can usher in the kingdom of God. Um, and, and you know, and this sort of brought me into conversation with the social gospel movement and, you know, God bless them. Um, they were very optimistic mm-hmm. <laughs> about what people could do. And they were also really terrified by kind of, the specter of urban chaos or anarchists. And again, there was a very particular politics embedded. Mm-hmm. Um, along with um, ideas of progress also are the ideas of um, that some people are at different places along that trajectory of progress than others. Right. So I, as a, um, as a white Western um scientifically literate person you know occupy i am in the present you know Mm -hmm. time is with me um but maybe um you know there might be other people who are somehow backwards or primitive in big scare quotes um Mm -hmm. or marked somehow as retrograde you know who then are you know then that's a that's the way that we mark an inferiority it's also a way that we um, 
we kind of foreclose the possibility of of a real politics, right? Um, if you don't occupy the same time as me, then I don't have to deal with you like as a neighbor. You know, no. you're 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 not you're less than me in a in a deep way. So, um, <clears throat> Bart, um, in bringing all of time under the lordship of Jesus, um, he really kind of radically brings us back to where we are, you know, says, now don't be trying to flee back into the past to try to make sense of things. Don't flee into the future and the kind of utopianism. Um, so, you know, Jesus Christ is the Lord of time and Jesus, we've been given, and this is a, a Howard Watts quote all the time in the world. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. can receive that, you know, the time of Jesus Christ is given back to us as a gift. Mm. Um, that's the time of the resurrection, Barnes says. And so um, putting all of our time, all of our time being sort of embraced and taken up in Christ um, should free us from those anxieties, right? Um, should free us from the, the prison of having to make our time significant somehow mm-hmm. or, or to, you know, that of thinking that we have to, you know, save the world with our own efforts because, you know, the, the world has been saved. That doesn't absolve us from from doing things, as I, I said earlier, but it does mean that we are not Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And that witness looks something different than having to save the world. Yeah. No, that's, that's beautiful. I, you know, one question I have is, is um, in sort of working that out at a concrete level, like how, 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 how would, um, this is maybe a really hard question, but how would, how would the, <laughs> sort of time of resurrection that bart talks about like how would that actually look for us today in sort of our very frenzied rushed lives yeah. where we're constantly entertained and constantly sort of making making the most and sort of trying to um i don't know just um yeah i guess just make the most yeah. of our of our time constantly well i think that um you know, it points to how time is not a thing for us to grasp or control, right? It isn't our possession. Right. Um, but then also, you know, the, the most beautiful thing about Bart's treatment of time for me is honestly um, some of the pastoral implications, um, you know, when and so many people, more people than not, um, you know, most people, um, you know, live with things that there can be um, really kind of um, trapped in regret or trapped in events mm-hmm. of their past that they cannot, you know, that are over-determining their lives now, right? Um, so yeah. Have a hold on them that they can't, yeah, that seems un- unshakable. Yeah. Um. And Bart has a beautiful passage where he says, you know, we can't, we can't burn our diaries, right? Mm-hmm. And think that that's going to make it go away. We can't mm-hmm. pretend that things never happen. But also, you know, in the time of Jesus Christ, they should have 
you know, it's a, it points us towards those things not having control over us. Yeah. We don't have to forget them, but we don't have to be bound by them either. Mm. Um, and the same thing with, um, you know, with the future, um, uh, when folks are always, and, you know, and I, I can be as guilty of this as anyone, um, always looking to the next thing. Yeah. Always looking to, okay, what's next? What's, you know, uh, I always tell myself, it's charming. I'm 51 years old. You'd think I'd figure this out by now. I look at my calendar. I say, oh, this week is terrible. Next week looks a lot clearer, though. You know, if you get through this week, then next week will be great. It's always a kind of utopianism of the calendar two weeks from now. Um, And it never (laughs) works out that way. But, you know, of you know, we always want to construct utopias or we always want to expect oh, in the future, you know, next year things will be better, you mm-hmm. know, or this way somehow the future is going to solve the condition of humans in the present. Yeah. That doesn't work either. Um, and so, you know, how can we be in the moment that we're in? Mm-hmm. I think is, is one thing that he gives us. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that's very helpful. Okay, so um, in your book, you're also you also spend a lot of time looking at Kierkegaard and then yeah. Kierkegaard's influence on Bart. So could you could you say a little bit about uh, what exactly this influence was that he had on Bart? Yeah, um, <clears throat> the most explicit places where you see Kierkegaard's influence are in. Um, in his early work, um, especially in the the Romans commentary, um, you'll see um, the way that Bart really tries to knock the 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 thinking religious subject, knock the feet out from under the thinking mm. religious subject. Yeah. Right. Um, by this kind of um, upending act of God, um, that's a very Kierkegaardian notion, right? Um, it's the difference between, you know, Kierkegaard will say, um, you know, we encounter God not by means of an ascent, right? And A-S-C-E-N-T, right? Not mm-hmm. by means of a ladder up, but by God's action towards us, right? Mm. Um, of the, you know, the Lord becoming the servant, um and that's very much the um you know you see that kind of logic in the romans commentary of saying no you know you are not (laughs) you're not going to make a leap of faith up to god or anything you know god is is acting you know and is going to knock you off your feet um and and that's a very and the i think especially in the um the Romans commentary and what he shares with Kierkegaard there is a, um, sometimes you'll see theologians who think in twos and theologians who think in threes. Okay. So it can be a kind of an unresolved, di- a twos, right. Would be an unresolved dialectic, you know, um, mm-hmm. just this kind of paradoxical polarity. Okay. Um, or you can have a thinker of threes, which is maybe more of a, a synthesis, right? Or, a, you know, not this, not this, but this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, both Kierkegaard and the Romer brief bar are very much thinkers of twos. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have that kind of um, really kind of as well as seasickness inducing um, mm -hmm. dialectical movement. I love it, but it is um, it's it's bracing. <laughs> it's bracing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you think that Bart? like after his epistle to the romans do you think that he sort of i mean obviously he never moves to sort of the threes yeah. group you're talking about but do you think that i guess my read my like very uh amateur beginning reading is that he sort of his development sort of moves him, or just sort of like um nuances his his dialectics um so that it's not just so yeah. um so polarized do you, do you do you see kind of a similar thing happening in his development or how would you describe the way his yeah i, mean, I think develops? nuances is a good word nuances is a good word i mean so in what 1963 he gives a lecture where he says you know i never i never left kierkegaard behind yeah right? um you know never in all of his his projects and never really left Kierkegaard behind, but it certainly is a lot more subtle in the later Bart than in the earlier. I mean, certainly like the kind of the resolute focus on the atonement. That's a, again, it's a Kierkegaardian notion. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, kind of methodologically um, it, it does get nuanced um, later on. And I think, you know, um, I think that's one of the reasons that I just, I really don't like evangelical theology. Um, you know, his book, <laughs> Evangelical Theology, yeah, is, it's yeah. very late, right? And I'm like, oh, this is, there's something about it that's less exciting, I think, because of the, you know, mm. at that point, the extent to which it's that kind of um, energy is, is, uh, is smoothed out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's become so nuanced that it's kind of missing the pop of some of his earlier work. Yeah, Is that kind of what yeah, you're saying? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I want to leave you with one last question, um, and then I can let you go. Um, sort of as we look to the future of of uh, Bart scholarship, what do you see as some promising prospects uh, beginning to unfold? Well, I think we've already talked about a number of them. Um, I think the Certainly, again, I want to commend to everyone the work that Kate is doing at the BART Center. Um, she's really um, working really hard to open up opportunities to engage with BART scholarship for, um, for, for underrepresented voices, uh, for global voices. Uh, and I think that that's, that's really, really important. Um, you know, I see really some wonderful work um, being done, especially in um, bringing Black theologies into conversation with BART in mm -hmm. fruitful ways. I mean, certainly I'm biased as a Willie Jennings student, but um, yeah. I think that his, you know, his um, being in conversation with BART um, and a kind of a Black liberation mold is incredibly fruitful. Um, and I think that, you know, in the climate in which we find ourselves in 21st century North America, that 
um, the the conversations that bringing Bart into conversation with our current moment, um, you know, remains really important. Remains crucial, and um, and I look forward to that. I think that um, you know, um, I think there's not there's energy to do different to look at newer questions and not to rehearse mm-hmm. the old questions. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, yeah, I I uh, really appreciate Willie Jennings stuff too. And I yeah, I don't know I I'm, I'm not familiar enough with Bart's doctrine of creation. Yes. But I'm sort of assuming that that Jennings is drawing from that a lot cuz I know he did his PhD or his dissertation on I can't remember if it was Bart's doctrine of creation or sort of creaturehood in Bart's Yeah, it's on um, Athanasius, Athanasius and Bart. Okay. Um, and uh, but you know he's he's been very very focused on on the doctrine of creation and there is so much there um, that is is beautiful and and worth lifting up and I think that sometimes the previous conversations maybe have skipped a little bit from volume two to volume four mm, right yeah, you have the yeah. kind of election conversation and then you know volume four and. Um, and certainly don't don't miss the goodness that's in the doctrine of creation yeah yeah no yeah i just found jennings um well i read his book uh the christian imagination i guess yes it's yes. kind of big one um i just found that so so illuminating like that the issue of race particularly in america is so mm-hmm. connected to sort of viewing people as um sort of separate or detached from from the land they call their own um yeah i just found that so helpful and not not a perspective um i had heard in theology as a race before so yeah it's it's good it's good yeah yeah really interesting stuff okay well thank you kara so much for um, taking the time to chat today it's been fun to talk with you about bart so thank you appreciate it a lot well thank you so much and um i'm really grateful to all of y'all for for putting together this series and and having some conversations about about Bart about topics that I think are really important. So thanks to mm-hmm. all of you.